0: Chapter number 7, verse number 9, the Bible said, And the patriarchs moved with envy, sold Joseph into Egypt, but God was with him, and delivered him out of all of his afflictions, gave him favor and wisdom in the sight of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, made him governor over Egypt and all of his house. Now there came a dearth over all the land of Egypt and Canaan, great affliction, and our fathers found no sustenance. When Jacob heard that there was corn in Egypt, he sent out our fathers first. And at the second time, Joseph was made known to his brethren. Joseph's kindred was made known unto Pharaoh. And then sent Joseph and called his father Jacob to him and all of his kindred, threescore and fifteen souls. I want to begin this morning preaching from the life of Joseph, probably one of the most well-known characters in all the Bible, well-loved. And uh, I want to preach about his story, I want to lay a foundation this morning as to the life Uh, and the story of this young man, uh, Joseph. Of course, this morning, let me say this, we all have our stories, don't we? Uh, If we had time, uh, we could all stand and we could begin to tell of the stories that brought us up to where we are today. Some of them would be pleasant stories and some of them not so pleasant, but they all make up the story of our life, and so it was with Joseph. He's not so uncommon and so different than you and I are. His life was made up of stories, of incidents, and of situations, some of them good and some of them uh, not so pleasant. But I want us to look at his story, and in looking at his story, I want it to apply to our lives and the story uh, that makes up our lives. Uh, Many times when we read the Bible, uh, the Bible characters seem to stand out to us like cartoon characters. They're just not that real. But I want to assure you that Joseph is as much or was as much man as you and I are as much human as all of us are. Right. And he had story he had story after story that accumulated and made up his life as it does with your life and with my life. Uh, I heard about a man that uh, said that he was worried, and somebody asked him why?" He said, "Well, when I first got married, said my wife used to like to read stories to me. And said, uh, the first story that she ever read to me was the tale of two cities. And he said, after that, we had twins. And he said, then she began the book, The Three Musketeers. And said, then we had triplets. And said, really pray for me, because the other night she began a book called The Birth of a Nation. Well, I guess that would really be some stories, wouldn't it? But I want to point out to you three things concerning the uh, story of Joseph's life. I want you to notice with me the circumstances, first of all, of Joseph's story. The circumstances and events that transpired that uh, made up Joseph's story. That that can be uh, seen in three different ways, three different areas. Uh, You, of course, know that uh, Joseph is the son, according to Genesis 37, of another well known character in the Bible by the name of Jacob. Uh, Jacob was the trickster, the supplanter, the conniver, the one that was always trying to beat somebody. And, of course, Jacob was the son of Isaac, who was the, and Isaac was the promised son of Abraham, and Abraham was the receiver of of the blessings and promises of God that through him Christ would be born so as is Abraham, Isaac, Jacob and then the 12 sons of Jacob that became the nation of Israel from which Christ was born. Yes. And uh, I want to look at this character by the name of Jacob. And when I I, I think about Jacob and his his life, uh, of course he came out of the womb struggling. He had the hold of the heel of his brother Esau, and uh, that's why they called him uh, Jacob. He was a tripper-upper, a trickster. And of course, he had great conflict with Esau. He tricked his daddy into giving him the blessing by uh, making him think that he was Esau. He had to leave his home country, and he he went into his uncle's country, a man by the name of Laban, and when he got over there and met Laban, he met a man much like himself. And uh, Laban was, of course, this is probably where Jacob inherited his his uh, ability to scheme and connive, and because his uncle was good at it. And there's always somebody better at what you're good at. Amen. And so he runs into his uncle over there first time he's ever met him, and and he falls in love with his with, with of course not that that. That is common in that part of the country. Don't try that around here. They'll call you a redneck. He fell in love with his uncle's daughter, okay? <laughs> you don't want that to happen. And uh, anyway, he told Laban, he said, I, I want to marry uh, Rachel. And uh, Laban said, well, that'd be fine, but the custom here is you've got to work seven years for it. And so he said, I'll do that. That'd be a real deal. So he worked seven years for Rachel. And so they had the big wedding and the ceremony. And I won't go into all of that because, you know, you'd really, uh, to understand how he got tricked, you'd have to understand a little bit of that. But suffice it to say that when you married the bride, you really didn't see her. She had the veil on and all of that. And so he marries uh, that day. But the next morning he finds out he doesn't have Rachel. He has married Leah, who is the sister, older sister of Rachel, and evidently not so good looking. And so he comes to Laban. Laban has pulled a real deal on him, buddy. He's given him a little bit of his own mess. And so he says to Laban, wait a minute, man. I got the wrong woman. <laughs> he said, well, I forgot to tell you that we can't marry the younger before the older. The older has going to be married first. But he said, well, what are we going to do about it? I still love Rachel. He said, well, if you love Rachel, you work seven more years. And you can have Rachel. And so Jacob, you know, he's been beat at his own game. And he says, okay, but I've got to have it." So he worked seven more years. And he marries Rachel, but the problem is now he has two wives. Two living wives, and you men are shaking your head, your wives are going to hit you. Uh, Two living wives at the same time. Well, there's confusion in the home, of course, anytime you're going to have a situation like that. uh, Leah is able to have sons. And it was the desire of every mother then to have as many sons as she could because one of those sons might be the promised seed. And so she would have all of these sons. And so Leah has one son after the other. The older one just keeps having these sons. And Rachel can't stand it. She can't have any children. And so when her husband comes home one day, she says, I, I just can't stand this. So what I'm going to do is, is I'm going to give you my my maid, my, my uh, uh, help maid. I'm going to give you her. And uh, what I'm going to do is, is, is she can, you can marry her. And then every child that she has will be, we'll count that child as, as my child. And so he goes in and he, he marries uh, this uh, young lady or this other lady. Uh, by the name of Zilpah. Well, he has some children by her. But now the problem is he's got three wives at the same time. That'd be a real problem. I'm not talking about he divorced one, married another one. I know I understand we're on touchy ground here. But it would be the same if you turned it around. There ain't no woman wants to live with three men, that's for sure. But, now Leah is upset because she has found out what Rachel has done. So when Jacob comes home from work one day, she says, I'm not going to put up with that. I, I'm going to give you my maiden and you're going to go in under her and all the children she has. I'm going to take those children. So now he agrees with that and he goes into this, this maiden. And now he's got four wives at the same time. Could you imagine going shopping with four women at the same time? Walmart, Kmart, JCPenney's or whatever it may be, an almost impossible task. But here is where the problem really arises. Jacob arises. Jacob has four wives. There is contention. I'm telling you, you could cut that strife with a knife. Then there's a little boy that's born by the name of Joseph. He's our character. He is born into this family, and he is the favored son of his father, Jacob. He's the 11th son that is born. And all of these mamas have had all of these children. Rachel's not had any, but now she has a child. And the daddy looks at that child and, and there's just something special about him. But as a result of that, all of those other three mamas, they see that Jacob loves Joseph more than their sons, whom were born before Joseph was. And so the scripture tells us in Genesis 37 on three different accounts that his brethren, Joseph's brethren, hated him. Why did they hate him? Because of the strife that is created with all of these women in the same home at the same time. And they all wanted their children to be the special son of the father, but they were not. And therefore, as the mothers began to talk about Joseph, it it would bred something in the hearts of these sons. And they all, the Bible said, they hated. And that means to hate with harm. They wanted to kill him is what they wanted to yeah. do because they saw the admiration and love of the Father toward this boy. Yeah. So can I say to you that, that first of all, Joseph's life was made up of circumstances of hatefulness. Yeah. And he was hated by ten brothers that was older than him and I'm not talking about choir boys either. I'm not talking about kids that just couldn't get along because they couldn't play with the same truck at the same time. I'm talking about boys that, two of them, murdered a whole town. These boys were not the average Sunday school boys. These boys were vicious boys and all of their animosity and all of their hatred was turned toward Joseph For his whole life, up until the time that he's 17 years old, he lives in an environment that everybody he looks at hates him. Except for his father. His mother died... And that left him in the care of three stepmamas who hated him and their children hated him. He lived in a total environment every time he looked into the eyes of his older brethren that were much older than him. They looked at him with scorn and disdain and the Bible said they envied him and eventually... They wanted to kill him and one of them reasoned them out of it and they sold him into egypt but they knew when they sold him that slavery in egypt meant death at a very young age and he wouldn't live long and they didn't want him to live long could you imagine living in that environment the next time you go to whining about saying well you know, mama didn't bake me a biscuit or something like that. Next time you go to whining about, well, things, you know, people don't treat me right, think about Joseph and what environment Amen. he lived in. His life for 17 years was in an environment of viciousness. Yeah. Think about that. Yeah. It was hatefulness. He was sold into the land of Egypt. He did the best he could down there. He became a slave to Potiphar and he worked his way up through the ranks because the Bible said the Lord was with him. And he worked his way up through the ranks until the day came until he was over everything in Potiphar's house. Potiphar, the Bible said, didn't even know what he owned. Joseph took care of every bit of it. And he served in that position For nine years he was a slave and a servant to Potiphar. For nine years. He could not claim his rights. He could not say, I've done wrong. He could not have his case pleaded. He could not call on a lawyer. He simply had to serve as a slave in the land of Egypt. And he worked his way up. He's done pretty good now. He's made the best of the situation without whining and and crying and all of these other things. And now he's worked his way to the top. And what happens? His very master's wife casts her eyes upon him. Begins to tempt and entice him. But the Bible said he refused. She took his coat off his back. She lied about him to all the other servants and to her husband when he came home and he was taken upon false accusation without any kind of a trial and thrown into prison in the land of Egypt. And he spent, we know, at least two long years in prison. And I say to you, his life is made up not only... Of hatefulness but his life is made up of worldliness. He is pulled from his grandfather Isaac, from his father Jacob, from the people he loves and the land he loves and even the God he loves and he is thrown into an environment in the land of Egypt that i tell you he has never known anything like that a land of ungodliness and worldliness where nobody knows the Lord God of heaven, nobody knows Jehovah Elohim, nobody knows God and in this environment he has to live. He doesn't have a Christian brother, he doesn't have a Christian sister, he doesn't have a church, he doesn't have a Bible. He doesn't have anybody to encourage him. He doesn't have anybody to love him. He is there a slave all alone. His life is made up of hatefulness. His life is made up of loneliness. Loneliness. All by himself. His life is made up of worldliness. All of these temptations coming his way. It would seem as though that Joseph's story is not a pleasant story, doesn't it? This, these are the circumstances that made up Joseph's life that I have mentioned in your hearing. But now I want to move to the second thought concerning Joseph's story. Not only do we notice the circumstances of Joseph's story, but I want you to notice with me for a moment the conduct of Joseph's story. The conduct. Someone has well said that it is it's not the circumstances of your life and the situations of your life that are important. But it is how you react to the circumstances and situations that are important. Joseph has gone through some great extreme and mighty traumas in his life. But how is he going to respond and to react to these traumas? He could, as some would, he could have gone through life accusing those who had mistreated him. Oh, he would have had a lot to talk about. I mean, listen, everybody he had come to, he could have said, hey, you, you don't know me, I'm Joseph, but I'm going to tell you something what happened to me. Can I tell you what happened to me? I've got ten of the stinkinest, low-downinest, scum-buzzard brothers you've ever seen. And the reason why I'm down here, while he's working, while he's and he's a servant under for now, and while he's down there, he's talking to all of his buddies down there. I'm telling you, Reuben, I hate him. He's my oldest brother. I'm, he's the leader of the pack. They're no good. I want to, and if I ever get a chance, I'm going to kill him. I'm going to get back him. But I wonder what good that would have done him or anybody else that would have been around him if he had spilled out all of this. That he Surely he was done wrong. But what good is it going to do to him to stand around and accuse everybody Amen. of the wrong that they've done for him and blame them for the situations of his life even Amen. though that they are guilty? Amen. What if our Lord, when he hung on the cross, instead of praying for us that we might be forgiven and those who had slain him, what if he had just slung out accusations and, and he, had, he had slung out judgments? We could have never stood Amen. before that. Yes, someone has done you wrong. Someone will do you wrong. We will all be done wrong. But what are we going to do about it? Draw our swords and fight back? Charge our enemies? Sit around and whine and pine and accuse somebody concerning the issues of life? He refused to do so. He could have accused, he could have abused. He could have been like them. He could have taken on their attributes. Yeah. He could have said, when this woman come in and tempted him, he could have said, bless God, my daddy had four women. I'll just do the same. Haven't you ever heard someone use that? Yeah. Huh? Beat their child and then ask him why the been beat Well, my daddy beat me. Well, that don't make sense. Amen. Yeah. Susan Smith pushed her two children off in Union, South Carolina. They asked her why. She said, well, my daddy abused me when I was small. I've actually heard people, my dad drank all of his life. And I, I, this is so ignorant to me. I've heard people say, well, my granddaddy drank and his daddy drank and my daddy drank and all my uncles died drinking, so I guess all this drink. Stupid. <laughs> Huh? <laughs> I've got a temper, yeah. My wife says I've got a temper, but my uncle Joe had a temper. Well, he gets a mad into on a hogs here. I mean, he just had an awful temper. So that gives us an excuse to have a temper. You see, we can allow the environment around us to make us like them. Or we can do like Joseph instead of accusing and abusing, we can refuse to be like those who live like that. We can refuse to be like those who act like that. Joseph said, I'm not going to be a Reuben. I'm not going to be a Simeon. I'm not going to be a Judah. I'm not even going to be a Jacob. I'm going to be one whom God can use. Amen. And many people die and go to the grave bitter over circumstances that are in our life. And the easiest thing for you to do is get mad at everybody else because of what's happening. To you. Amen. Amen. And it may be so. They may have done something to you, but honey, you ain't, you ain't hurting them any by going around bitter. You're not hurting them any. You're hurting you. And Joseph said, I'm not going to do that. I'm noticing the conduct. The thing that set him apart for his, from his brethren was he refused to take on their spirit and their attitude. He refused to get even. He refused to do so. You know, uh, I've jotted down some thoughts about dealing with the circumstances. Let me just throw these at you and I'll go to the last thought. Dealing with the circumstances that are in your life. Let me just mention these to you. How to deal with them. Joseph dealt with them in his conduct. First of all, don't be defeated by disappointments. They're going to come. Joseph had great and glorious dreams. But it didn't all turn out like he thought it was going to. Don't be limited by your location. Don't say, well, bless God, here I am in Egypt. I might as well party. I ain't going to be able to do nothing else. You know what we do with our young people a lot of times? We try to give them an excuse for living wrong by saying, well, you know where they go to school. And everybody goes to school there. That's the way they turn out. They don't have to. Daniel didn't turn out like the Babylonians. The three Hebrew children didn't. Moses didn't turn out like an Egyptian. And certainly Joseph didn't. You don't have to if you don't want to.
1: You don't know, have
0: oh, well, pray for my little boy. He's just been hanging around. No, he is the wrong crowd. Because he chooses to be so. Let's don't be easy on ourselves. And I'm not just talking about you, little boy, little girl. We're all in the same boat. It's a decision we have to make. We're either going to be like those that are around us or we're going to stand with God. God can go into Egypt with you. He can go into Babylon with you. He can come into your environment. No matter how rough and crude it is, He is there to help us. Don't be, don't be trapped by your temptations. Well, Jason, Joseph faced them. Don't be broken by your bitterness. Don't allow the spirits of others to cause you to be bitter. And don't be exalted by your exaltation. Joseph was finally exalted, but he never used that as a tool against those who had wronged him. So, we notice not only the circumstances of Joseph's life, we notice the conduct of Joseph's life or Joseph's story. But now I want you to notice with me lastly, I'm talking about Joseph's story. I want you to notice with me the Christ of Joseph's story. You know that they tell us that Joseph is probably the, the major character of the Old Testament who has more, is more a type of Christ than anyone else. Over 100 ways in which Joseph is a type of Christ. Now that's hard to believe. How in the world can you take polygamy in his father's life? How can you take hatefulness in his brothers? How can you take loneliness as a servant in the land of Egypt? How can you take lying by Potiphar's wife? How can you take two years in prison? And how in the world can that be like Jesus? But it is. It's amazing. (laughs) Hatred, malice, bondage and prison put it all together and you've got Jesus it's no accident what God allows in your life it's no accident what God allows others to do to you in your life it's no accident as to where you're born it's no accident as to who your parents are it's no accident as to who your neighbor is it's no accident as to where you're working God puts all this together and he said to his brethren when they came down he said you meant it for evil but don't get all upset God meant it for good. He said you couldn't have done a thing unless God Almighty had allowed it to be done. And honey, nobody can touch you unless God allows it. And if God allows it, he has a purpose and a will. That's right. Now you say, well, how in the world is Joseph a type of Jesus? Well, let me just mention a few. Joseph was the favored son of his father, was he not? Jesus is the favored son of our heavenly father. Joseph was hated by his brethren. Jesus said, this world hath hated me. Joseph was sold for 20 pieces of silver. Christ was sold for 30 pieces of silver. Joseph became a servant under Potiphar. Jesus came and humbled himself and became, the Bible said, a servant. Joseph was falsely accused by Potiphar's wife. Jesus stood that day on trial and was falsely accused by those that were around him. Joseph suffered at the hands of men, allowed by God. And Jesus suffered at the hands of men, and allowed by God. Can I say unto you, Joseph was given a name above every name in the land of Egypt. And Jesus, after he suffered, was given a name, according to Philippians 2, above every name that every knee should bow, and every tongue should confess. Before it was over, all knees bowed before Joseph. Yes. And before it's over, all knees of every man, woman, boy, and girl that's ever been born is going to bow right. before the Amen. Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. I say to you, you take all of these circumstances, put them together, and you have Christ. Amen. Amen. The things that we would not like in our lives. The things that we don't understand. The things that perplex us and bother us. Those things put together. God allowing them miraculously brings forth Christ. You do know that verse in the Bible says that all things work together for good. To them that love God. To them that are called according to his purpose. God putting it all together. Let me give you this illustration. And say a word or two, and I'll close. My wife and I, when I pastored for 22 years, been in evangelism for a little over a year. We did uh, interior decorating. That's just a fancy name for wallpapering and painting. You make more money if you put that name on it. I don't know why, but we did that for years. And in the I did this so many times and it dawned on me one day while I was doing it. You know you'll get you a paint chart when you're getting your room ready. Man, this thing this, it blesses me to death. And inevitably on that paint chart, you'll get together and you get to trying to match things up and you'll pick a color that is not pre-mixed. And you got to have it mixed, you know. Right. But you got the chart. Yes. Yeah. So you take it down to the hardware store, you go over to the paint department, and you say to the fellow, you say, listen, I'd like to have some paint mixed." He said, yes, sir, I am happy you with that. And this right here is the color that me and my wife has decided on, right there. I always said I can do that. And I see him, he goes over and gets what is called a base color of paint that has not been mixed. And he'll take it over there, and there's this spindle there that has old 10 or 12 cylinders on it and they've all got paint in them and then you'll stop but this is what gets you almost every time no matter what color you want he'll stop it black right. and you're wanting all white and you, you'll squirt that black in there now if you've never seen it done you're standing over and you're watching him, and you're thinking well this guy's not worked here long has he i'm not buying that paint He's messed it up already from the get go. Because all of us know that black don't make off white. But he's just whistling like he just knows what he's doing. And he spins her around again, and he'll stop at a real bright yellow, and you're thinking, oh Lord, I can't imagine what this is going to look like. And he'll squirt her down in there. And then he'll spin her all around a real bright red. And he'll squirt her in there. And by that time, you just, you. You just can't hardly imagine what that gallon of paint's going to look like, but you just what you can't imagine is what your wife's going to look like when she opens it up. And he's still, you know, singing along. He takes her out and he puts a lid on her with a rubber mallet. And then he takes over and puts her in a shaker and shakes it up. While he's shaking it up, he's writing the formula down on a little sticker and then gets it out and puts it on top of the lid takes a rubber mallet, puts the lid down, gets you a stir stick, puts it on top, sides it over there and says, can, can it help you with anything else? And you say, <clears throat> uh, if you don't mind, would you take the lid off of that? I want to see if that's, if it's all right with you. And so he takes the lid off and he puts a little bit on that and blow dries it and lo and behold, you have the same color. You can't believe it. How in the world do you take black and yellow and red and whatever color and put it in a white bucket and shake it up and come up with the color you want it? It's amazing, isn't it? But can I say to you this morning, that's the way it is with your life and my life. And so many times God will spin you around and he'll squirt a color in him and you'll say, Lord, I didn't want that. One of your young ones will fly off in some direction you never expected and you'll say, my Lord, you've you ruined my life. You go to the doctor and he'll tell you there's some kind of problem, some kind of illness and God, how can I put up with this? I never thought when I got saved I was going to have all this. I've been watching TBN and all that other stuff. They said if I tied and all that stuff, I wouldn't have no problems. Where's all this coming from? And then if that ain't enough, God will squirt all them colors in your life that you just know is messed. you ever been there? Look at me. Have you ever been there when you said, God, this is a mistake. And the Lord just whistles. Then he'll take you over and hand you to the Holy Ghost. (laughs) Shake you up real good. You're talking about shaking you up. Shaking you up. Your whole life is falling apart. You feel like you're a number one failure. For one of these days, in glory, the Lord will take the lid off of your life. Amen, brother. And when he does, he'll match you up. And you'll be just like Jesus. And you'll say, Lord, how in the world did you take all that heartache, pain, and suffering, death, sickness, and, and disappointment? How in the world did you do that? And they say, Well, I'm God. That's the way I do it. That's the way I do it. Joseph is like Jesus. You know what's happening here? Joseph's got a story, and God took Joseph's story just like it was. Not changed, not worked on. God took Joseph's story, and he's used it all these years for his glory. Can I say to you this morning, don't touch anything in your life. Don't go to thinking what you're going to do now to make things better. Can I, can, I, can I just say this to you? Take your story just like it is and bring it to Jesus and he'll take your story and, your story and your story and your story and your story whatever it is and he'll use it for his name. Amen. Because you know what he does, in reality? You know what Jesus likes to do? He likes to swap stories. You know what he did with me? I was raised in a home. My dad an alcoholic. My mother left. I was a year and a half old. I've never seen her. Never had a mama. Never read one verse of the Bible. I was 15 years old. I didn't know a thing on earth about the gospel. Raised in that environment, pool tables and beer joints and alcohol, buried two brothers in the 40s drunk because of alcohol. My dad, same way, got others going in the same direction. Raised in all that hell and all that environment up until I was 15 years old, and I'm sure everybody thought that my whole family was going to die and go to hell. But one day, not by accident, but by the divine grace of God, I heard the gospel. I heard the gospel. And you know what I did? The Lord said to me, said, Dana, if you'll give me your story, I'll give you my story. And we'll see how it works. We swap stories. So, for 31 years, I've been going across the country telling his story. <laughs> and it's worked. I got no. Sad tales to tell. I've got no long yarns of sadness. Now. i got a great story this morning. <laughs> that is that Jesus loved you. He died for you. He'll save you and he'll take your story, whatever is composed in it, and he'll blow it apart and use it for his glory. <laughs> and it just thrills me. To be able to tell the old story time and time again. Of the distance that God has brought me. What has changed in me. And what he's done. And what i got to look forward to. i got a story. you got one. Have you given it to Jesus? He'd like to have it. What a difference it'll make in your life. What a joy. What a thrill. And you give him your story as Joseph did.